0: This is Airwaves by Aviation Trader, your complete aviation marketplace, with your hosts, Steve Bisher and Grant McCarran.
1: Well, hi everyone, and welcome back to Airwaves by Aviation Trader. Yes, I'm Steve Vischer and Grant McHeron is with me. And Grant, uh, boy, has the world just gone a little bit crazy since the last time we put a podcast in.
0: <laughs> certainly has, mate. The last episode was uh, at the end of last year, uh, very early uh, 2020, and now here we are in Isolationville and uh, everyone's yeah, pretty much still locked down. It's in April, so we've got a little bit to go before they lift restrictions apparently, but hasn't it changed the world?
1: It certainly has, and uh, we we should start by sending out our best regards to all of our friends listening who are in the airline world. Boy, uh, it, it's really tough at the moment. Really uh, sad to see so many uh, so many airlines from. It doesn't matter which airline it is. There's so many aircraft uh, grounded, sitting around in storage. And um, I have noticed, Grant. Uh, now I live under the uh, training area here for Moravian. I still see some training aircraft out and about. So it's good to see that some of those operations. Still appear to be going, but uh, boy, it's been tough on air industry
0: that much is certain mate it's uh, changing things you know people talk about ANset when uh, that went under just after nine eleven but at least there are other airlines you could get work with uh, at the moment yeah it's it's pretty full on, but we might save all that discussion for uh, another episode for now we've got uh, something a little different to talk about.
1: Indeed. Let's talk about back in happy aviation times, and you can't get any happier in general aviation than being at Oshkosh. And uh, Grant, uh, as we mentioned in the last show, you were over there at uh, Oshkosh 2019 and uh, having a great time, but also doing a bit of work for the podcast and grabbing some interviews. Uh, This time, we've got three. Uh, We've got a quick chat
0: I had with uh, Jessica Koss from Garmin, and uh, she took me through some of the new uh, products that they had out then. They were just releasing, and there were some other new stuff just about to come out. Well, that, of course, hasn't come out, a little chat with Jessica. And uh, then we jump over to uh, Lycoming, where Judson Rupert and Aaron Spots take me through the uh, new, at the time, uh, electronic ignition, which it's about time we got away from those uh, clunky old magnetos that we've had since, what, World War One. <laughs> <laughs> and then we, we wrap it up talking with Brad Dam from Cub Crafters, and Brad runs us through how they use Lycoming with Cub Crafters. But also, he has... Quite an amazing I learned to fly story that just blew me out of
1: the water. Fantastic. Well, let's head back to the happy place, that aviation mecca, Oshkosh, and uh, let's uh, kick off this show. Enjoy.
0: Jessica Koss from Garmin. Uh, I believe there's lots of really good news that you've got to tell us about.
2: Yeah, we've announced several new things, new products last week uh, leading up to AirVenture, one of those being the GNC 355, which is a GPS com. Um, so for customers that maybe have an older generation like Kalen 89, 90, 90B or a GX60 uh, that want to upgrade to something a little bit more modern, something that could also do, you know, RNAV, LPV approaches, and then also upgrade their COM to a more modern uh, COM, they could certainly do that with the GNC 355.
0: Okay. And that's a a standard um, five centimeter kind of environment to plug into?
2: Yep, it's a standard mark width design, so it's, you know, customers won't have to completely redesign their panel or even their avionics stack for that matter.
0: And uh, any uh, specific paperwork, STCs, things like that to be aware of when upgrading, or is it just pl- pull out, plug in, and you're away?
2: Yeah, so our STC covers class 1 and 2 aircraft, as well as experimental amateur-built aircraft, and that encompasses about 700 airplanes. Um, it's a Garmin-held STC, so the Garmin dealer could easily do that, um, and, that and it really wouldn't take a lot, of whole, a lot of in the way of installation time.
0: Yeah, that's always good. You don't want your aircraft out of the sky too long.
2: Yeah, that's right. That's our goal too. So,
0: <laughs> and uh, I understand you introduced a pair of new items. Yeah. Uh, I think it was the was it the three three five and three three five a, or have I got those numbers wrong?
2: Yeah. So there are two derivatives of the GNC three fifty five. The three fifty five and then the three fifty five alpha, and the three fifty five alpha offer offers eight three three kilohertz spacing. So.
0: Yep. Yeah, which is uh, very important for the uh, UK market, right. e- Europe, that kind of thing. It's, have you seen any sign of that coming into the US?
2: Um, on our end, not really. No, I think we're 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 uh, pretty happy with the twenty-five kilohertz spacing, just yeah.
0: fine. Yeah, I think that's the same in Australia. Um, I have to honestly I haven't really heard much about uh, needing to replace radios at right. this stage, which is good. But uh, so, what other products have we got?
2: Yeah, so we've kind of made some enhancements to our existing product line. Um, Some examples of that would include G5, the G5 electronic flight instrument. Um, You can now pair it with uh, a temperature probe to display outside air temperature. Um, and in, in the experimental amateur built market on G5, you could even display density altitude on the G5 prior while the aircraft is on the ground. So we're kind of, you know, pulling in some different data pieces on our existing products and just giving pilots a little bit more information.
0: Yeah, it's always good to be able to have that display and, and not second guess what, you, what your calculations and your whiz wheel have told you. Right,
2: right, <laughs> especially when it comes to density altitude yeah. and it's as hot as it is up here in the U.S. this time of year.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, I've experienced that. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, now, um, are you doing much in the way of, uh, you know, everyone's got their tablet. Are you doing much work in that respect so that uh, someone can plan their flight on their tablet and then throw it into the system and the the navigator?
2: Yeah, so we have our Garmin Pilot app. It's a worldwide app and available on iOS devices. Um, And we're making a lot of enhancements to that product as well. Um, Recently, we just, in fact, yesterday, uh, launched some European enhancements, so we're dedicated to that on a global scale, and certainly customers can connect it to their panel, whether that's even the new uh, GNC 355 Navigator. They can wirelessly transfer flight plans to and from that, as well as the GPS 175 um, and GNX 375 that we announced back in April. So we do have a lot of wireless connectivity options with our app, and we know that's really important to customers.
0: Yep, and uh, yeah, so you can have your tablet on and be in the, having a coffee somewhere, figure everything out, and then just throw it straight in and do that Iron Man swoosh into the into the. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can
2: do that, or you know, if, if you get a complex route from ATC while you're flying, it's easy to just do it on your iPad and double check that what you put in there is correct, and then transfer it to yeah. your avionics.
0: Yeah, a bit, bit, bit bigger form factor yeah, yeah yeah okay anything else you'd like to tell us about
2: no it's been a busy oshkosh and i what's it i think what's really exciting is garmin's not done yet this year we have a lot of really cool things coming up um that span the market both in you know experimental ga business aviation all the way up through that market so it's it's uh, gonna be an exciting year for garmin and we're not we're not done so
0: stay tuned oh leave us with subtle hints <laughs> no I have to <laughs> no but now we're like we want more we yeah want more.
2: yeah that's a good thing I like it
0: well it's certainly uh going well here the, the stand every time I've gone past has been packed with people you've got a lot of gear out here to try so uh and you've got uh, extra couple of seminar tents going as well so that's right. yeah very good presence here at Oshkosh. so um yeah thanks for your time and uh, have a good show yeah
2: thanks Grant
0: Aaron Spots uh, from Lycoming welcome to the show Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Cool. Now, um, we're going to have a chat in amongst the background noise of an air show about uh, the uh, IO390 engine. Can you uh, give us a bit of information about where it's come from and where it's going?
3: Well, the IO390 uh, was developed as uh, a a different uh, engine model to expand our product portfolio. So, it it has an increase in bore size. So, it it spun off a family of the IO390 and also the io five hundred and eighty. So it's a four-cylinder. What kind of horsepower is it putting out? Uh, It's a four-cylinder engine, uh, and it was certificated at 210 horsepower, but we also have a certificated 215 horsepower version.
0: And i noticed that you've got the AEIO and all the other letters in the front. It's fully ready for aerobatics and everything, and...
3: The current certified version is IO, but in the experimental market, you could definitely put on a, uh, a Christian kit or some type of aerobatic kit.
0: So it's a pretty versatile engine. Uh, yes, it is. So, what are the uh, the typical features that you're going to find on the engine? Uh, stock standard, but it's what could you tell us about it? That uh, might have someone going, you know, I've got an old IO three hundred
3: and ninety, maybe I need to upgrade. Um, the, the current features, it, it does not vary um, uh, significantly from our, our legacy uh, product. Um, however, in the latest versions of it with the IO390C, uh, uh, is we're taking advantage of lighter weight materials. So we're maintaining horsepower and dropping engine weight. Which is pretty important. Get some more
0: kilos into the uh, passengers or fuel is always a wonderful thing. Um, I noted that you've got some magnesium components in there as part of that lightning. Um, Which areas are using magnesium?
3: Uh, Currently, right now, it is the, the sump and induction. The engine is currently also going to be offered, is uh, once we've re- received uh, our type certificate um, for our electronic ignition system, our amended type certificate. Uh, so the engine is currently available experimentally with a Lycoming electronic ignition system, and soon it will be available for the certified product. Which is a wonderful segue, because that was going to be my next question about the uh, electronic ignition
0: system. So uh, that looks like a very uh, funky piece of equipment.
3: Uh, It it, uh, actually is uh, quite simplistic. Um, uh, I guess I can't speak for the the looks, um, but it is designed as an alternative drop-in replacement for uh, the traditional magneto.
0: Yeah, so looking at the size, and I believe it's got a bit of a weight saving, but you just take out the traditional Magneto, put this in, connect it to ship's power, away you go?
3: Uh, well, that, that would be correct. With a, uh, a single EIS installation In a dual EIS installation, you would connect one of the EISs to ship's power, and the other one would be connected to a backup battery.
0: Okay, so now we're going to bring in uh, Judd Rupert.
3: Judd, mate, uh, you've got
0: the uh, technical backgrounds on the EIS here. Uh, Can you tell us, uh, we've just heard from Aaron that you'd need a second battery. So what size battery would it be?
4: So uh, we've sized the battery to ensure that it uh if running on the backup battery it lasts long enough to get the aircraft safely on the ground and we've chosen at least a three amp hour battery is sufficient for a four cylinder to run over two and a half hours at full rated rpm um and the six cylinder you you, it a little bit uh, less time but well over two hours of running on three amp hours okay
0: so that's a three amp battery about what size and, and weight is that
4: Uh, Roughly weight-wise, it's uh, about a little under two pounds um, in in a little dimension, uh, probably uh, six inches long, inch and a half high, and uh, two inches wide. So uh, relatively small, mounted on the firewall or the engine mount or anywhere that really fits.
0: So this unit is designed, you can just take out the magneto, put this in, there's no need for any special tuning or anything like that, uh, Beyond once you've got it set up with ship's power and the backup battery, if you've gone dual, it's fire and forget and away it goes?
4: That's correct. We do recommend a 10 amp inline fuse on that power wire to circuit protect it of some of some form. It doesn't have to be a fuse, it could be a normal circuit breaker protection, but yeah, we like a 10 amp protection on that as well. Okay.
0: And, of course, not being mag, um, mechanical or anything like that, it's just going to sit there and pretty much effectively run forever, so to speak.
4: Yep. Uh, we uh, hope that uh, um, it will basically sit there and rust. So
0: <laughs> Excellent. No more need to change it over. Okay. and Yeah. So if, if you're having a mag problem, that would be probably a perfect time to do a change.
4: Yeah. Well, it's easily retrofittable uh, again we, we uh, made the ignition harness uh, compatible with any champion slick type harness and um, it's, it's just going to be re- remove the uh, two nuts and pull the old unit uh, you can even use the same drive gear that is on the um, magneto that you are pulling out and replace it and uh, time it to the engine and go
0: that's pretty amazing so uh, nice bit of work uh, now, this might come back to yourself. So you mentioned, Aaron, before that it's uh, that the unit is uh, currently available for experimental to go in. Which aircraft have got STCs for the installation of the EIS at the moment?
3: So currently at the moment, um, we do not have any models that are STC'd, um, but we are working with a... Um, a well-known STC supplier um, to start um, the, the models. And we are going to start with, by, by demand, the most populous models, which would be something like the Textron Aviation Cessna 172 series and like the Piper um, PA-28 series.
0: Yeah, very common aircraft at most airports around the world. So, Judd, is there anything else you'd like to say about the EIS unit?
4: Yeah, some of the uh, key features of the unit, um, it does uh, integrate um, the ability to uh, retard the top dead center for starting, uh, ease of start. Um, another thing that you get with the electronic ignition side, the coils are providing a constant uh, uh, energy uh, across the board, so you get a hotter spark for the that also helps with starting. Um, it also incorporates uh, a timing light so when the unit is already installed on the uh, engine you can move the power wire to the timing terminal and bring the engine to top dead center and it gives you the indication of properly timed uh, settings.
0: Yeah that's really good that's that makes it a lot easier to set it all up there. Yeah
3: and Aaron anything else you'd like to say on the EIS? Uh, Yes, Grant. Um, One thing I would like to expound on is, uh, as Judd was discussing about the uh, development piece, um, our development partner, um, Surefly Partners Limited, um, actually uh, was the designer of the Magneto, and they provided it to Lycoming's exacting specifications. Excellent. So, uh, yeah, this unit's designed to uh, pretty much stay on there forever. Uh, yes, that is correct. I mean, right now, um, we're, we're intending this to be a set-it-and-forget-it um, uh, a- accessory, whereas uh, you, you time it initially, and the uh, EIS, EIS system will go um, until TBO. Well, thank you both, gentlemen. I really appreciate you both taking the time
0: for a chat. Thanks, Grant. Quite welcome. Brad, um, welcome to uh, the show. Mate, I hear you're from um, Cub Crafters, but I hear you've got a really interesting
5: uh, how I learned to fly story. Yeah, so I was actually going to be a forester and and go to work for the U.S. Forest Service and uh, help manage our federal forests, and uh, as part of that, during college, I worked in Alaska for the Forest Service and ended up flying quite a bit and fell in love with aviation. The first 36 hours of dual instruction I had were in a de Havilland beaver on straight floats, and uh, I've always been a part of aviation, either professionally or recreationally ever since and uh, it, was, it was a good start to get you interested in the types of flying that Cubcrafters airplanes specialize in.
0: Which is pretty amazing because, you know, Beaver, you don't normally think of that as a beginner student pilot plane, but uh, well done for learning in the best possible way, I
5: think, that uh, from there... When I came back to college, I finished up the pilot's license in a Cessna 150, and you want to talk about transition shock, going from a Beaver on floats to a Cessna 150 on wheels, um, that was kind of a that was a shock, but we got it done.
0: Yeah, the power ratios would be quite different. <laughs> yes, sir. Okay, so Brad, you're um, you're working um, in marketing with Cub Crafters, so uh, can you just give us a very quick rundown on where Cub Crafters have come from, the product produced, and uh, you've got a great Shipping container here with it uh, packed in a clear side so you can see it packed away as it would arrive if you ordered a a kit. Tell us about all that stuff.
5: So, Cub Crafters was started in 1980 by a gentleman named Jim Richmond. He started developing STCs to improve Cub type airplanes. After that, he started rebuilding Cub airplanes. Then he started manufacturing Cub airplanes, and that grew to designing new cub airplanes the same basic form factor but with modern technology to get the best performance out of uh, the classic design but with modern materials and and modern design technology and are they available factory built or is it kit set only both factory built as either a part 23 certified airplane in fact two of our airplanes have uh, type certificate approval in australia Um, and then we also have uh, light sport aircraft that has also been approved in Australia, and we also sell kit airplanes.
0: So you're building the aircraft, they're available kit, they're available factory, but uh, I was over at the Lycoming stand and Pat was saying that uh, you folks are receiving a Lycoming engine every two and a half days. So are you exclusively building with just the Lycoming engines?
5: We're exclusively building with Lycoming for three of our five products. Um, So that would be O360 powered Top Cubs, CC363i powered third generation carbon cubs and the new 215 horsepower cc393i fuel injected uh, engine for the x-cub
0: okay so you've you decided to lock in with lycoming and uh, you've got a a good deal going there i guess between the two companies is is there any particular reason you chose lycoming
5: Uh, lycoming has been a great industry partner for us and they're one of the best industry uh, um, most reliable well-known industry brands for these type of engines. Um, We always try and associate our brand with other best-of-class brands and uh, Lycoming's really it for uh, small uh, general aviation piston aircraft engines. Now
0: he was saying you're getting two and a half engine, sorry an engine every two and a half days. I take it that means that you're producing quite a few airframes and kits?
5: Yeah, so this year we'll produce 66 new airplanes that'll go down the assembly line and leave Cub Crafters as a fully assembled airplane and another 36 kits will go out the door where the airplane's unassembled and so that's 102 airframes, 102 airframes, every one of them needs an engine, that's two engines a week. So you've got three products, you've got three engines, what's specific about each engine for each product?
0: What is it about it? Is it a weight thing? Is it a power thing? Uh, Why have they each got different engines?
5: Well the really exciting thing for cub crafters about working with Lycoming is not only do they produce and manufacture good engines for us when we need them, But they've also jumped in as a development partner on developing new engines that are specific to the needs of our types of airplanes. And primarily, that means very rugged engines with high power, but where we've taken a lot of weight out of the engine uh, for backcountry-type airplanes. These airplanes have to stay light because they have to get into, you know, 100-foot-long, 200-foot-long, 500-foot-long airstrips. Um, and to haul loads in and out of there, you need a good power-to-weight ratio. And Lycoming's really stepped up to the plate, especially with this newest 390 series engine, uh, the 200-plus horsepower engine, uh, to really deliver a 215-horsepower engine that only weighs 10 pounds more than a 180-horsepower IO 360 180-horsepower engine.
0: That's pretty amazing. You're getting that much more power, but still much lighter And as you said, very important. Uh, imagine the environments that your aircraft are working in, rubber good
5: strips, floats, that kind of thing. Yeah, so our airplanes are all four-season airplanes, which means that uh, every one of them, to be successful, has to be able to operate off of skis in the wintertime, floats in the summertime, and wheels in in what we call the shoulder season or the in-between season. So a lot of our customers will run the airplane on uh, tundra tires, It'll they'll run the airplane on floats, and they'll run the airplane on skis. And the engine has to be able to accommodate all those. So anything else you'd like to say about uh,
0: the use of Lycoming with uh, Cub Crafters and uh, what you're getting out of the engine?
5: Lycoming has been a great partner for us. Um, it's, a, it's a relatively new relationship. This exclusive relationship is uh, is relatively new for both companies, but we're really excited about it going forward. Brad, thanks very much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you.
1: Well, there we go. Plenty of great information for our listeners there. And uh, I tell you what, um, you know, talking to uh, Jessica there from Garmin Grant, um, I really, as I've probably mentioned many times in the past, I've just got to get used to flying with glass cockpits. I'm, I'm still a steam gauge guy. I've got to get over that.
0: Mate, I, I fly hot air balloons. What do I know about steam gauges Even
1: <laughs> <laughs> So great stuff there. And of course, uh, like coming just synonymous with the general aviation industry. Um, really good to see that uh, that company is uh, still thriving and doing well and uh, lots of innovations coming on stream.
0: That much is certain, mate. And uh, yeah, and then just to segue out through into the uh, Cub Crafters chat, and how cool was that learning to fly in a beaver of all aircraft to learn to fly in?
1: Yes, well, it's a a little bit of a different story to the old, uh, you know, the standard story for most of us, you know, Cessna 152, Piper Warrior, all that sort of stuff.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's why it was hilarious hearing what he had to say when he actually continued with his lessons and went into a Cessna.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it would have been probably really, really simple after uh, after flying out, I would imagine.
0: Oh, that's for sure, mate. But, uh, you know, one of the things here, uh, I was kind of wondering if I was going to be able to get to Oshkosh this year again because it was so much fun and I really wanted to go each year. But as we record this in April, it's not looking good. Uh, there's a lot even, – even if they manage to reopen business in the US, uh, there'll be probably a lot of people who won't be able to travel. And we sh- certainly aren't looking at uh, international travel until early 2021 at the earliest yeah. of what's going on in Australia.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's uh, just a reality of it. But, uh, you know, we all have to just uh, stick to the plan, I guess, and uh, make sure that we wipe out this, uh, this horrible virus that's sweeping around the planet. And, uh, you know, like you say, since April 2020, as we record this, there are some positive signs. So let's hope that that just keeps on that trajectory. But, yeah, I, I, um, I would be very surprised if they opened the borders here in Australia <laughs> at all this year yeah
0: yeah exactly and if you do come back you're going to have to do your two weeks uh isolation in a hotel hopefully by then they'll still be paying for it um, like our government was paying for people to do that so that was the one benefit <laughs> yeah i'm i'm wiped out for this year for travel it's just not going to happen i'll be lucky to get much of my domestic travel in by the end of the year i suspect
1: yeah well look all of this isolation gives you plenty of time to be looking online at stuff and you don't waste your time looking at netflix and all that sort of stuff why don't you head over to aviationtrader.com.au he says in his best radio voice the number of people <laughs> within, within australia is one 800 and if you want to contact tony or janine there uh, by email admin at aviationtrader.com.au and grant um you know if people have got suggestions uh you know, for stories they'd like us to cover here in the podcast, certainly send it through to that email. And uh, for any of the advertisers uh, that, uh, that work uh, constantly with aviationtrader.com.au, well, uh, you know, the, uh, the team is still there to support you in any, in, uh, any way they can.
0: Certainly are, mate. And uh, looking forward to doing more work with Aviation Trader once the dust settles from all this.
1: Absolutely. We'll all love to get back flying as soon as we can. We hope to see you in the sky soon. Until the next time, I'm Steve Fisher On behalf of Grant McCarran, fly safe, folks. We'll talk again soon.
0: Airwaves is the official podcast of Aviation Trader and part of the publication's comprehensive array of digital content. If you're passionate about aviation, stay connected at aviationtrader.com.au for the latest podcasts,
5: news, blogs and more.